Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pop-Tart Paperback Podcast. That's not it. Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you on your creative journey. We help you push it forward, okay? I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk and all things AJP by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's do it. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, antijpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. Okay, so we're doing a series about creative target practice. Uh, and it's just about, are you are you preparing for a creative performance or are you daily, day in, day out, having a relationship with your creativity? Is it a performance or is it a practice? I like the idea of a practice. It kind of means that it's always a journey. It's never a destination. It's always something you're doing and improving on. And and that's kind of the central focus of your creative output. Is that how you're dealing with it? Last episode of this series, we talked about having a real ongoing daily, day in, day out relationship. And in this episode, I want to focus on the aspect of your relationship where you're enjoying the process. Are you or are you not enjoying your creative process today? It's so, are you committed to enjoying it? Is it a priority to you? It's so easy for us to defer our joy until some future day when it finally happens. 
that's when I'll enjoy my creative process when I get there or when I do this or when they let me enjoy my creative process. And in today's episode, I want to suppose that if you're really going to get your best creativity, you've got to learn to enjoy it right now or that day will never come. Let's go back to our relationship metaphor of having a relationship with creativity. I think there's some deeper layers here, at least for me, okay? If you listen to part one of the Creative Target Practice series, this is going to sound familiar, but there's a different angle that I want to kind of just turn the gemstone and, and refract a different meaning for today's episode. If your friend came up to you and said, um, OMG, I have huge news. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bertha and I are getting married. And you'd and maybe you'd say, amazing, wow, you must really love being with her, man. But if he said, whoa, no, I, I hate her guts, can't stand the sight of her, can't stand to be in the same room, makes my skin crawl. But that's all going to change when we get married. What would you say to that? I know what you'd say. You'd say, why do you think you're going to happily spend your life in a way that you can't happily spend your days? Why is it that we can get so convinced that we'd love living our life as a published author when I don't enjoy spending my days writing? What, what do you think is going to get fixed? What do you think is going to get changed? Why do we think that it's going to be so different when I'm a Hollywood movie actor if we don't love our day-to-day -day of acting? Why do we think that we'd be so committed as a New York Times illustrator when in the day-to-day -day we are so unfaithful to the discipline of showing up and making the work? If your friend thought the title of being married was going to save the relationship, you'd say he was crazy. So why? Why do we believe ourselves when we think that someone someday could give us a title, some, a, a major label musician, a New York Times bestselling author, a Pixar concept artist, that somehow that would change our relationship to the work? Here's the question I want to ask you and what I want you to ask yourself today. Why do you put off the joy of making things? to some future ceremony where you're sanctified with some holy title? Why do you think that's going to change anything? Why do you defer your creative joy? And why, if something isn't enjoyable now, do you believe that anything will be different tomorrow? I'm not talking about the amount of time. When you're a full-timer, you might, you probably will have more time to enjoy the creative work. And, and if you do love what you do, that will mean more joy, right? That logic checks out, but we aren't talking about the quantity of time. We're talking about the quality of time. In the pockets that you do get to do your creative practice, wherever you're at, whether that's two hours a week or 40 hours a week, do you love it? Are you enjoying it? In fact, do you love it so much that you make as many of those pockets of time as humanly possible? Why or why not? In this episode of the Creative Target Practice series, I want you to confront the part of you that believes that creativity is a far-off destination and then change it to believing it's an everyday event. 
that the only way to get to a place where you enjoy what you're doing in the future is to dedicate your now to the things that you actually enjoy doing today. If you are not enjoying your practice, you know, I strongly believe that the key to unlocking your deepest creative potential, your best creative work is not prioritizing productivity. It's by prioritizing fun. When you're having fun, when you are uh, exuding essence, just because this is who you are, that's where the good stuff comes. And if you're not playing, if you're not enjoying it today, you're not going to make the stuff that's going to get you to that destination tomorrow. And so in this episode, we are going to go into three ways to enjoy your practice more today so that you can unlock not just joy today, but also unlock your greatest work because play is the path to your best potential. The, the three Ps, everybody, everybody knows, play, path, potential. Let's get into it. Okay, the first thing you got to do to start enjoying your practice today is number one, unschool yourself. Okay, I don't know if you've heard of unschooling. I am, I'm not really going to go into my, my praise and critiques of approaching school through the unschool lens for, for kids because I just think there's we could spend countless hours pontificating about, you know, the the pros and cons of the unschool method. But essentially, unschooling is about prioritizing your kids' natural curiosities and really leaning into them and letting them fly and, and letting them, you know, get that motor, that clean fuel of just being interested in something because you're interested in it. Just doing something for the sake of it, right? Like that is the most appealing thing on earth. I actually have a feeling that when you allow yourself to do something for the sake of it, that you tap into the transcendent and the divine like flows through you. Here's why I think that. Because I'm a parent. I've got three kids and I can tell you this, when they are channeling the most pure version of their life force, aka just doing exactly what they do. Jerry Seinfeld calls this, uh, you know, a woodchuck chucks wood. That's what they do. And his brain chucks jokes. His buddy, George Wallace, phenomenal comedian, great follower, great follow on Twitter. Um, Absolutely hilarious. Just a weird mind. George Wallace notices when people say things that are literally dumb, that they just don't make sense. He, you know, he calls it stupid stuff. People say stupid stuff. Like uh, when he's walking through town and someone sees him and someone says, Hey, George, are you in town? And he's like, look around. Or if someone says, man, it's raining outside. And he's like, where else does it rain? Um, his brain has this automatic behavior. So much of creativity, so much of unlocking your potential is just doing the hard work of figuring out what your automatic behaviors are and then exploiting them. His brain just naturally notices when people are saying something that's literally untrue. 
And then he he's piled a huge amount of those things into a, a, a compilation of stuff called stupid stuff. And those are tons and tons of jokes for him on stage. And okay, I, I want you to think of it this way. I've been really grappling with this idea of essence versus persona. Essence is your automatic behaviors. Essence is uh, your unadulterated you. Persona is when you're efforting to be something that you're not. When my kids are in essence, when they're playing, you know, my youngest, for her, playing is dramatic play and, and, and performance and getting in character. My middle kid, he studies, he finds something he's interested in, and then he reads the entire, every book and get his hands on. Like Pokemon, oh my gosh, the amount of books, deep, huge, thick books he has gone through. He knows so much. That's how he loves. That's how he exudes essence, by just studying something religiously, scholarly. He's a, he's a Pokemon scholar, certified, PhD. My oldest, she teaches you know, we've been in the quarantine thing and we've been doing some remote school. We, all of our kids are kind of doing different programs. It's a whole mess of insanity. Thank your, you know, these people who are stay-at-home people, thank them because dear God. But my oldest, her essence is teaching. And we just let, we just like, all we had to do was channel that automatic behavior. And now we're not teaching the younger two crap. She's doing everything. I'm just kidding. But no, she has become a leader in that role because it's just her in her zone. And I will tell you one thing, when it comes to marketing, when it comes to getting attention, there is nothing like the purity of doing something for the sake of doing it. I have said this a billion times. When my youngest kid is in that dramatic performative play and she's doing voices, she's got Barbies and she's creating characters and she's, you know, just it's, I just set up camp, whatever I'm doing, whatever work, whatever, I set up camp right next to her. I just want to whiff. When humans are channeling that essence, we just want to be around it. If you want people to be around your art, to just want to set up camp near your practice, you've got to tap into that automatic behavior. You've got to unschool yourself. Unschooling yourself is about unpersonifying yourself, getting rid of that persona and figuring out what have I always done? I've been really wrestling with this recently because uh, my therapist called me on it because she said, you know, I, I was talking about my workaholic tendencies. And I said, as someone with ADHD, I'm running from boredom constantly. And they're just menial tasks of the day-to-day -day life of family that I just want to escape. And I'll find escape in my mind by working on a creative problem. And it just, you know, it means I'm not always present when I should be. And I do that because work is fun for me. And she said, well, whenever you talk about work, you don't make it sound like fun. You make it sound like you're stressed out of your mind half the time. And that really hit me because we've been going through this process of trying to, you know, categorize essence from persona and separate those things. And I thought, man, this kind of stress that I carry when it comes to creativity, it kind of seems like persona. It kind of seems like efforting. But at the same time, I feel like I'm dealing in my 
my, my potential and, and what I'm all about. And what I realized was, and I think this is an important distinction for some of you, that the way I play, probably my primary form of play is wrestling. Now, wrestling on the street in a street fight, that's just stress. But if you're a pro wrestler, that's your essence. And for creativity, I am a problem solver. I'm a strategy guy. I'm a strategic creative thinker. And there's nothing more fun for me than to just work at something. I just wrestle with it, wrestle with an idea. And I think that's important because fun looks really different. Like studying isn't fun for most people. That's work for most people. But what one person's work is another person's play. And I think one of the ways you can do this, you know, is go back before you built the persona. Persona, by the way, in my mind, you know, I don't know if you've taken the Enneagram test or, or if you've ever heard uh, any, any teachers say, you know, what did you need to be to be lovable? What did you think that you needed to be to be lovable? How did you need to change to get the love from a parent that you didn't feel loved by? That's where you start building persona. You start adding layers to this is who I think I need to be for my friends at school to like me. This is what one needs to be to be worthy of love. That's all the ways that we add all this stuff on there. But there was a time in your life where you were much dumber than that and you didn't know how to change yourself to gain love. You were just automatic essence, baby. Go back to that. And I can see, and, and by the way, I've got a list of things. Like I used to make videos when I was a kid and I used, I had one of those talk boys, which is very, I love this. Like the, you know, the talk boys from home alone, it's a little cassette recorder. And I used to make radio shows, AKA podcasts, very, very in my essence, even right this second. And, and I also used to wrestle, man. I used to wrestle with ideas. I used to sit in the bath just like I did this morning. I take a bath every day. That's another story. If you haven't listened long, you don't know that about me. But I talk about baths most episodes, so you'll probably hear it at least once more this episode. But I used to sit in the bath when I was like just a kid and just trip out over ideas. I remember, I remember this one time we're living in a place called Park Forest. That's the little addition we lived in in the suburbs. And I'm laying in the bath and, I'm, and I, it just hit me. That my older brother, he thinks that life is all about him. He is stuck in his own perception. He's got, and I, it was like the birth of empathy for me. I just realized like, oh, everybody's here locked in their own perception. And I just put my consciousness in his shoes. And, and I was just tripping out. That's what I do, man. That's what I do here on the podcast. I like to wrestle and trip out over ideas. I like to create concepts. That's what, that's what I'm into. What are you into? What have you always been into? Get into that automatic behavior. If you can embrace that, if you can just channel that just raw, clean energy, I can tell you, people will set up camp around your creativity. And that's why it's so important to not defer your joy to tomorrow. Okay, the second thing that I think you can do to start enjoying your practice today is to construct your playpen. Like, I don't know if you have uh, had kids or have been a kid, but... 
you know that a cardboard box is a lot more fun than nothing. And it's also a lot more fun than too many things. There's just something about a simple construction, that little playpen where all of a sudden just that's where you start getting ideas. That's where you start having something to push up against. And I want to help you construct a three-walled playpen, like a triangular playpen. It's not the ideal shape. Uh, there's a lot of dead space there. But that's the that's we've got three things and there's three sides to a triangle, okay? So I don't know what to tell you. That's the playpen you get, like it or not. Okay, I got to tell you, I'm obsessed with this idea. Uh the idea is be kind of good at three things. <laughs> uh, this comes from Dilbert, the the creator of Dilbert. Now, uh, you know this is kind. Of, I think this is kind of a a, a swear ish. It's swear adjacent. So just if you got little ears, don't you got. But I gotta I gotta be honest. Like just you're off for a minute. This guy seems like a total prick. Okay, uh, he's like I don't know. He he just rubs me the wrong way. He's got some bad ideas, that's for sure. But he's also got some good ideas. Even total pricks have good ideas from time to time. Okay. Earmuffs off. <laughs> he said, Dil the guy from Dilbert, he's like, I was kind of good at business, kind of good at drawing, kind of good at jokes. But you put that Venn diagram together and what do you have? You have Dilbert, one of the most successful cartoons in our time. And so I feel like we get really obsessed with like, what's our one thing? What's the one thing that when we do it, it's, it is, we're Michael Jordan. But Michael Jordan is just one in a billion. And that, those are just bad odds. Those, that's not the person to learn from. You know, I was just listening to Hannah Gadsby on Mike Birbiglia's podcast called Working It Out. Freaking obsessed with that podcast. If you're into... Uh, what Kyle Sheely and I call lay down tragedy, which is the opposite of stand up comedy. Instead of going, it's you know public speakers that instead of going for laughs, go for tears. That's kind of what I aspire to be. Um, <laughs> uh, if you're into lay down tragedy, aka storytelling, you know one person shows that kind of stuff. Go listen to this. It's the juiciest stuff. And they talk about how Hannah Gadsby, which I don't know if you know this. Uh, she is a innovator in the space of stand-up comedy because she totally flipped the thing on its head with her special Nanette. And, and it's one part comedy. It's one part, one person show. And they were just talking about how rarely does innovation happen by just being one thing, just being good at one thing. And I was listening to Rashida Jones on Conan O'Brien's podcast, and she was saying the same thing. She said that her father, Quincy Jones, like master producer, composer, uh, by the way, producer, composer, two things. Quincy Jones told Rashida, be great at two things so that you can ebb and flow. Our brains hate this. Our brains are dual machines. Our brains are computers. They are binary ones and zeros. And they say, you got to be a zero or you got to be a one. Which one are you? But the best answer to that is yes, both of those things. If you can hold in relative tension that you are a podcaster, illustrator, public speaker, if you can, if you can hold all author, all those things, if you can hold these things in tension, if you can hold three things in tension, 
you are going to unlock innovation. You're going to create new things. You're going to be, you're going to find really rich uh, areas of play for you. And I want to just uh, explain this a, a little bit more by talking about um, uh, Hamilton. Hamilton's a great example. Now, these are the three walls that I want you to construct your playpen with. Then we'll get to Hamilton. Passion. So start with a muse. Start with uh, an interest that you are just obsessed with. Pokemon, right? Like, like, like my son. Like, what is when I I've been working on some kids' book stories. Uh, you know, I've been trying to. I want. I'd like to author. I haven't authored any uh, major published kids' book, and I and I'd like to do that to some regard. And um, the most success I've had in writing that stuff is starting with just a topic. I honestly think that we don't value topic or content as much as we should as creative people. We get so caught up in the how, the style, but we just completely downgrade and in, 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 uh, in just uh, ignore content, the what. But if you will start with what, you can riff on it. You know, we're talking about deliberate creativity. We're talking about a creative practice. Jerry Seinfeld, when he realized that most comedians would get on Johnny Carson and they'd have a good set the first time because they'd use all their best material, an okay set the second time, and a poor set the third time, and then never, ever get another chance and their career would be basically over, he realized, I can't just wait for inspiration to strike. I've got to be deliberate about this. And I'm a believer in that. And one of the ways you get deliberate, one of the ways he did was he just started with a muse. He said, ah, I think dogs are funny. What, what's funny about dogs? What can I riff on, on dogs? How can I spend the next two hours writing tags and punchlines and, and, and angles on dogs? And so if you want to be a deliberate creative, if you want to have not just, you know, sporadic creativity or creativity out there in the future and you want to have a practice today, I think you got to start with the muse. What pumps you up? You know what pumps me up? Dragons. <laughs> I've been thinking about dragons. I don't know why. They're so, they're, I like the metaphor of it. I like the adventure of it. I like what they represent. I like that they represent the things in between us and the treasure. It's just good stuff. Plus they look totally cool. I've, I just, I'm into it. Okay. Dragons. I like drawing. I'm like thinking about them. I like, I've been, you know, just <laughs> in my own stupid way doing little hybrid dragons of like East meets West dragons, dragons. Those, that's one of my muses. Start with the passion, some content. That's your muse. That's wall one, wall two play. How do you have fun? What's just the, the second wall is just what and you can think of this as your talent, your automatic behavior, the thing we we're talking about in one. How do you just you know, for me, like I said, I like wrestling with ideas. That's a big thing for me. I like structures, frameworks, I like, you know, just that kind of thing. That's my that's my jam. How do you play? We're gonna get in some examples that'll kind of explain that too. But it's it's more or less what you probably think of as your talent or what you have a knack for, what just is your automatic behavior. And then the third one is your medium. What's the outlet? Where does, where's the best place to put this talent? 
you know, and, and maybe market is just as good of a word as medium. What does it want to be? You know, sometimes I'm wrestling with an idea and I'm thinking, this would be a perfect class. That's the medium. Or this would be a perfect podcast. That's the medium. Or this would, needs to be a book. Or this needs to be an Instagram post. That's your third wall. When you've started, you got the content, you've started playing with it, you're going to figure out the third wall is it needs to be in this construct. You're going to get all of this information, all of these uh, parameters to push up against if you can figure out that medium. All right, let's go to Hamilton as an example. Hamilton. Here's the thing. Lin-Manuel Miranda, he is not a historic scholar. He's not the best at history. He's not the best at rapping. And he's not the best at theater. His passion for history, his play slash talent for rapping in the medium of theater, when he put that Venn diagram together, he was the best. He was the best in the world. He was the Michael Jordan of historic theater rapping, right? Like that is how you unlock your potential. Let's talk about Get Out. I've never seen it. I'd like to see it, but I'm easily scared. I'm a, I'm a, I don't like scary things, and I've heard it's not that scary, Andy. Yeah, but I've heard it is a little scary, and, uh, and I get a little scared when it's a little scary. Get Out by Jordan Peele, though. I've, I've heard it's great, and, and I've, I've heard a lot of, you know, uh, there's a lot of pontification around it, and so it's a good example. Plus, it's, I know a lot of you guys listen or watch that thing. Um, passion, an interest for race relations play, storytelling. He used to, in fact, he used to lay in bed just to pass the time, just to, just to get it, just to fall asleep, was coming up with that story in his mind as a game. If you've never played creatively, if you've never found the essence that you're just like, just like what he's doing, just to pass the time, just for the sake of it, because it's what your brain likes to do, I challenge you to to take that seriously. He was storytelling was just what he was doing to pass the time. He wrote that story in his mind before he fell asleep and the medium ended up being film. That, that was the container to put that. I just watched hunt for the wilder people with uh, Taika Waititi, a uh, huge fan. He, uh, man, his, the way that he balances humor with heartwarming is what I aspire to. And I just love New Zealand sense of humor. It's just my jam. But Hunt for the Wilder People, you ain't seen that. You ain't seen nothing yet. You got to go check that out. Three categories. Passion, New Zealand bush. The, like it, That movie, in a way, I think is a celebration of the natural wildlife of New Zealand. Play. This guy likes that the to play with that the jokes and the heartwarming like equal parts both of those things just how can you make something that's both funny and just warms your heart and then the medium film again okay I'll give you my example uh, as another example so passion I have a passion for what I think is probably described as philosophy. You know, a lot of uh, philosophers say that the, the the definition of philosophy is what is the good life? Like all of the philosophers were trying to get to what does it mean to live a good life? Like how do we explore that through kind of dialectic? How do we get there? So for me, I think a lot about this and, and I think 
I think creativity is kind of my answer to the good life because creativity to me is about self-expression, self-actualization, individuation, neurodiversity. The neurodiversity and creativity are one and the same in my mind because creativity is just saying, how do you do it in a different way to how other people did it? And you do that by leaning into the diversity of your neurology, your uh, neurochemistry. How is your brain different? How can you show up with that difference and lean into that? That's a creative life. That's instead of instead of banking on the average of human qualities, banking on the part of your humanity that doesn't show up in others. That's the creative life. That that's what I think we're here to do. That's why I think there's a different version of human on this planet is so that we lean into that difference. That to me, that's the, that's, I could, obviously I could get into that. I've been pontificating. There's a lot of pontification today. Um, but, uh, that's my passion, uh, philosophy, right? And, and I think an obvious place to put that might be writing, but I actually think I might have some writing disorders, uh, that make that really challenging for me. So for me, play is performance. And I find it really interesting, that Venn diagram of, of kind of writer performer. I'm very, that's what makes me so interested in comedy and, and one person shows is that it's, it's, it's the writer that doesn't write. It's the writer that then performs it. And it's interesting too, because the people that are good at both of those things, like being philosophical and being able to perform it, that's that already cuts the line down to the top by quite a bit. Now, the third one will say medium. I would say if I could if I could choose, I would choose to not have a deadly virus, you know, uh, just <laughs> kick in the world's booty. I would love for that not to be true. And I would love for the stage to be my primary way to put that out. But for now, it's a podcast. And that's great. And I'll probably do that anyway, forever, as long as I can. That's, a, that's the medium. But also videos. Sometimes it's, it's videos. But usually it's, it's a it's philosophical uh, approach to life, um, that passion, that interest. Uh, through the play of performance, and and usually that performance is a silly performance, uh, and then the medium is like I said, it can be podcast. Sometimes, sometimes it's video. Sometimes it's stage. Um, but I could also I could also construct that playpen for illustration almost as easily. Okay, but you might be saying when it comes to any of these pieces, like I don't do that for a living. Like I've looked into myself. I've looked back in my past. I've, I've started to unearth some essence and I found some disturbing truths. Like I'm completely and utterly on the wrong path. Getting back to like when I'm talking about the performance thing, when I discovered some of these things as an adult, I was already a full-time illustrator. And what I didn't do was just pack it up and give in and, and start a totally new career from scratch. You can actually do really, really interesting things with essence where you are right now. And that's a big part of enjoying it. My dad, my dad is a phenomenal communicator. He's a better communicator than he is a finance guy, but he has a job in finance and has had a job in finance my entire life. But I can tell you one thing, a good, funny, interesting, powerful communicator that's an accountant is one of the most valuable accountants. That Venn diagram, that sliver, there are very few people in that sliver. 
And that's getting to your unique contribution on this planet. You know, when you start diving in, if you find some essence, some ways you want to play that you haven't explored or that you haven't injected into your current creative practice and you want to breathe new life and joy into your creative practice today, here's what I suggest you do. Get a super soaker and bring that to the water balloon fight. You know what I mean? All right, step three. <laughs> Just kidding. Here's what I mean by that. The super soaker to the water balloon fight. When I started to realize that I wanted to do this performative philosophical thing, I just, I made it my job. I started this podcast so that I would get invited to do public speaking at design conferences with the intention of taking a super soaker, uh, a one-man show to a water balloon fight, which is, you know, design talks. Now, that definitely presupposes that um, a super soaker is... Uh, kind of superior to the water balloons, but I don't think it's like that. It's, it's, it's more just different and different is good. Different is in my opinion, what you're here to be. And, uh, and, and you can know that if you bring a super soaker to a water balloon fight, it is going to get you some attention, but you're also going to probably get in trouble. And there have been a lot of ways when playing like this, like, you know, exuding what I am has been uncomfortable. When you go on after, uh, uh, if you're an illustrator and you get invited to a conference and you come on after a designer who's just gone through their portfolio without slides, you say, yeah, I'm going to do it without slides. They're like, whoa, we, you make pictures for a living. There's going to be some uncomfortable things to work through. And if you bring a, a super soaker to a water balloon fight, there's going to be some people that are like, uh, what? But then you just soak them with your super soaker. Uh, <laughs> but this happens all the time. Like I said, Hannah Gadsby and Nanette, she's probably not the best comedian of all time when it comes to pure joke telling. I mean, that that's probably true. But her stand-up special made bigger waves than anything that's been made over the past five years because she brought the other side of her, which is this deeply philosophical, humanitarian, like uh, just storyteller. And she injected that. She brought a super soaker to the water balloon fight. How can you do that? Are there ways? Are you in finance right now? Are there ways that you can jazz up your presentations by drawing? What if you have an essence of obsession with illustration, but you're in finance? Can you use that to elevate, to show up and break expectations? That's when people start to pay attention. And that's the power of letting yourself play. Kanye West, okay, I get it. It's almost like triggering to hear, to hear his name. It's true. He's a complicated uh, creative person, and, and I've got tons of uh, mixed feelings about that chap. I can tell you that right now. But I'll tell you something that blew my mind, about, and it changed the way I saw him. He said that he was working on a, a, a biopic of him, and the person he wanted to cast as Kanye West was Danny McBride, the comedian, the white comedian. He's in uh, Pineapple Express, Eastbound and Down, all kinds of stuff. He's a complete goofball. And when I heard Kanye wanted to cast, he brought Danny McBride out to his house and hung out with them and they talked through all these different ideas. When I heard that, I saw Kanye completely different. I realized that 90% of his lyrics are comedy. They're jokes. 
and uh, and I don't think we think of Kanye as funny, but that's one of the reasons he's got to where he's got because he brought that super soaker to the water balloon fight of rap. Phoebe Bridgers was just on Pete Holmes' podcast talking about how her lyrics are funny. I was, I don't know if you've heard her song, uh, um, um, Motion Sickness. There's one of the meanest, most brilliant lines I've ever heard where she, she's talking to, I think, a, a, a lover and saying, why do you sing with an English accent? I guess it's too late to change it now. That's brutal. That's public. Like to say somebody sings with an English accent for some reason when they don't have an English accent. That's implied. Brutal. Phoebe, good God, but it's hilarious and and amazing. But she's bringing that super soaker. Mike Birbiglia, we talked about him earlier. He did the same. Pete Holmes mentioning him. He brought spirituality into the comedy club. What the heck? That is bizarre. That's weird. That's showing up with a super soaker. Playing with those expectations. That's where some interesting stuff happens. And that's how you end up breaking out from the crowd. Just because I got off on a tangent there, getting into the weeds, uh, just a little recap. Construct your playpen of three things, passion, play, and medium, okay? So passion, what are the content you're interested in? Start with that muse. I think that's a good starting block. Two, your play, your talent. What is your automatic behavior? And your, it, it is your talent. Start with your talent, even if you're not that talented. The whole point of this thing is being okay at these three things. But you put all the, if you're okay, you know, that combination is still going to be pretty unique. And then the medium, where are you going to put this stuff? Um, where, where, what's the best housing for this kind of talent uh, and passion? You add those three things together and you will be successful. You'll be as successful as Lin-Manuel Miranda. I cannot promise you that. You won't be. None of us will be. Have you seen Hamilton on Disney Plus? I cried since pretty much minute one. Uh, love, love that energy. But you will get some interesting stuff if you construct that playpen. Okay, the third thing that you need to do to start unlocking enjoyment in your creative practice right now is to embrace the artist play date. Okay, this is a riff on Julia Cameron's From the Artist's Way, Artist Dates. I want to just put play in there because I want you to prioritize play even when you can't see how it's going to affect or impact your creativity. When you stop and you ask yourself, what would be the most fun I could have today? What would be, if I, go look at your weekend, go look at your evenings, go talk to your significant other and say, yo, I need to have some fun. I'm going to spend two hours this week, find two hours and put something in that zone that is your automatic play. Just remembering what it's like to enjoy, just filling yourself up with that is the raw fuel for your best creative work. Doing something for the sake of doing it. And the funny thing is, if you're a grown up listening to this, uh, that might be a harder challenge than it seems. Like when was the last time that you said, what would just be the funnest way to spend two hours? Julia Cameron says that for her, 
that's going to the pet store where there's a bunny and she just goes and pets the bunny. <laughs> and that's it. That is just pure joy. It's about guiltless pleasure. It's about automatic behavior. It's about just exuding essence. For me, I think probably making stupid videos is just one of my and, and, and not planning them, just being weird, being just exuding that weirdness. It's also uh, reading philosophy. I love that. Wrestling with a story. I love that. I love, you know, there's certain story structures that I just like to, I like to wrestle with plot. That's just really fun for me. We bought some uh, air drying clay for me and my kids. And, uh, cause I'm just trying to, I was trying to prioritize. I felt like I hadn't, you know, we're all cooped up in lockdown. We haven't spent intentional time together very well this year. And I bought some clay dad of the year. No, we, we made stuff for like an hour and a half. It wasn't, wasn't anything to write home about, but we, I just thought about that. I thought I love, I've been really, really loving sculpture. I just want to make stuff for making it. It's not going to go anywhere. I'm not going to sell it. There's something about filling up that tank, something about just, you know, turning up that enjoyment, getting remembering what it's like to have fun again. So stop and ask yourself, what would be the funnest way to spend two hours? It might be going to a bookshop. And I, and I added play to her date because I, I, I recommend figuring out an active, not just a passive, not just going to a movie. But just what's something you can actually participate in that would be a blast? If you can't find anything, that's a red flag. Because that energy, to me, I, I, in the past, I feel like there was this mythology that suffering was the key to great art. And I actually reject it. Suffering, I think, can be as good of a well as anything. But if I was going to put a... Uh, a prize on the best well of creativity, I would say fun, because that's just essence. That's just automatic behavior. And if you can tap into that, people are going to want to set up camp around you. One of the things I've realized is, uh, when I'm in my play zones, when I'm in that joy and I'm making stuff for the sake of it, just because this is how I want to spend my days so I can spend my life doing this stuff, I don't need people's feedback. I don't, I find that when I'm efforting in persona, when I'm trying to be something I'm not, I'm constantly having to check in with other people. Like, is this good? Do you like this? Is this, you feel, who's feeling this? Anybody? Is this terrible? But when I start playing into my essence and I start doing stuff for the sake of it, I don't, I know it's good because it's good to me. It was good for me. And I might seek some guidance from some trusted people like, you know, should I do it this way or that way? Like, you know, fine tune little things, but I'm not asking them, is this or is this not good? And I think what the number one reason we defer our joy until some entity, some brand or some corporation or some gatekeeper says, you're good, is because we're not essencing, we're efforting.
because we don't have that internal joy to tell us this is good because we're not playing, we're not participating, we're not creating from that place, right? And so here's what I want you to do. Quit waiting for the pat on the head. I find myself doing this. When you're waiting for the pat on the head from that brand or that gatekeeper or that audience or, or whatever it is, if you're waiting, if you're waiting to enjoy your stuff till that you get that pat on your head, you can pretty much be certain that the joy, that the, 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 the creative process isn't the reward in itself. If the reward is some finish line, you're not enjoying it today. And if you're not enjoying it today, you're not going to be making the kind of work that's going to ever get you to that destination tomorrow. And so instead of looking for some brand or entity or higher power or, 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 or whatever to give you permission to enjoy it, to give you affirmation that, yeah, you should be doing this stuff. I want you to use this episode as a catalyst for owning what you're good at. Because the only thing in my book that is required to be good at it is that it's your essence, is that it's just your automatic behavior, that it's just your play zones and you're enjoying it. And let me tell you, as uncomfortable as it might be, I'm gonna do this so that it gives you permission to do it. Let me tell you what I think I'm good at because I really enjoy doing it. Deep thinking, philosophical theory, performance, strategic creativity, you know, creativity where it's like solving a puzzle. I've got good taste in pictures and I'm pretty good at coming up with analogies. And I know I'm good at all that stuff because I have a blast at doing it and that is the metric of success. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. To Sophie Miller, <laughs> Sophie Pizza, my wife, for content uh, assistance. As always, thank you to Jordan Aaron for editing and to Ryan Appleton for, again, content assistance, scheduling, you know, editorial shiz, all the like. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right, just whatever. Stay pepped up.